new from Scouted Football, introducing the Scouted Notebook, long-form, in-depth journalism, storytelling, and analysis from our team of expert writers. Sign up at scoutednotebook.com for the very best we have to offer, including consistent and curated updates on the players we think you should be excited about, detailed coverage of youth football tournaments other outlets aren't paying attention to, such as the Under-20 World Cup, Under-17 Euros, and plenty more. A Scouted Notebook subscription guarantees you'll receive exclusive updates on and early access to Scouted, our premium print magazine, which makes a return in 2023, as well as complete access to the digital archive of our legacy print magazine, The Handbook, all 12 volumes. Scouted, the home of independent, in-depth storytelling and analysis on football's next generation. Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. It's been a busy summer of youth international tournaments for us at Scouted HQ. Uh, we've launched the Scouted Notebook, uh, which Lee, Steve and Lou um, have been taking the reins on and they've been, they've been doing a fantastic job in their subscriber content for, for us at Scouted. But uh, we're back with another free episode of the uh, Scouted Football Podcast, the uh, the original. Um, and I'm, I'm delighted to say that I'm welcoming back uh, a long time uh, a long-time guest on this pod. We've done countless episodes together. Uh, a real, real sharp mind in the scouting world. Uh, Lee Scott is, is back on the podcast. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to take a look at some some players that we're excited to watch this season. Um, maybe after, uh, I don't know, uh, a summer in which they, they've made moves or they've played and stood out at tournaments. Um, or simply, they've just been, you know, piquing our interest because their, uh, their, their numbers have, have stuck out. So, um Lee, welcome back to the pod. How are how are things into the final week of the window? Yeah, but we were just talking before before we started recording, Joe. And uh, one week to go it just seems to be what I keep saying. And as we're going ahead towards the end of the window, it's been it's been an interesting window. It's been a hectic window, but we're almost there. Yeah, I mean, for anyone who isn't aware of Lee's background, yeah, it's very much in the the world of scouting and recruitment. Um, he held roles at various clubs. Um, throughout Europe um, and and further afield um, over the you know the duration of your career, but currently find yourself at Velez in Spain. Um, what is the the role that you have here for for anyone who hasn't listened um, to to this podcast before, or maybe has dipped in and out and hasn't caught one of our episodes previously? What is the role that you have with Velez, and um, what's the, the sort of the, the the tasks that you find yourself doing during the a summer transfer window? I'm currently working as the chief scout for Velez Club de Football in Spain, in the Spanish fourth tier, the Segunda Ref. Um, basically, this summer we've been rebuilding the squad. The the main, well, one of the main tasks when they, they approached me, approached me to interview for the post in the first instance, was that they wanted to get more streamlined and use more data within their recruitment processes. So. That's kind of what we've been working on since I took up the role. It would have been last October now, so not even a year in the job yet. So we got through the winter window, and in the summer window, we've rebuilt and reshaped the squad. Um, we currently have probably one more player that we're going to be looking to bring in uh, before the season starts a week on Sunday, and then on to the next window and start preparing for next summer. 
yeah, very much a, a hectic time for, for anyone in that in that line of work. But um, we're very grateful you've given up the time to uh, to, to share some of the uh, some of the insights and players that you've seen over the summer and, and those that you've that have really that have caught your eye. Um, you've got three that you've selected. I've got I've got two. Uh, we're going to go through those in a similar sort of pattern to, to what we've done previously. Um, and Lee, we'll start with you. I mean, you've got I, I believe you've got two South American players. Which one would you like to, to select first? Well, just to let people peek behind the curtain first, this is actually the second attempt that we've had. We we had to postpone the podcast, and since we've since we originally came up with the list of players we're going to discuss, both of my South American players have actually moved clubs, so <laughs> they're both coming into slightly different circumstances. But I'll start with a forward, um, one of the most interesting forwards over kind of the, the Argentinian season was Lucas Beltran a 22-year-old striker who was at River Plate and was looking extremely impressive. He very much had similarities in terms of output and performances to to Alvarez before he moved to Manchester City last year. But over the last few weeks, we've seen Bertrand actually move across to Europe and he signed for Fiorentina in Serie A for £12 Beltran is just all action. He's the kind of forward that I like a lot. He's energetic, he's quick, his movement is sharp and incisive. He knows how to drop back to receive the ball with his back to goal. Even though he's not the tallest, he's not an, an overly physical player. But his movement back to receive, he, he receives and he plays off quickly, off two, three touches at the very most, and then he makes another run. But it's in the penalty area and around the penalty area because he has got quite a good finish from range and the ability to score in curl shots or to hit shots with power. But in the area, his movement is very, very good. He's got that instinct that I think sometimes young strikers miss when they first come through. And it's not something that you really see them develop until they're a little bit older and they're a little bit more experienced. But he has that ability to just drift away from the defender at the right moment. So when the ball's out wide, you'll see him get touched tight to the defender. And then as the defender's um, distracted by the position of the ball, you'll see him just drift away into a little pocket of space and just buy himself the time so that when the ball comes in, he's able to finish. It's something that I heard Romario, the famous Brazilian forward, talk about once. And he used to say that he never looked at the ball. All he would do is look at the defender that was marking him and he'd watch the defender's eyes. And he said that as soon as the defender moved his eyes away from him towards the ball or towards something else, that's when Romario would move. It's just that experience and trusting that you are in the right position. And then you can use your timing of your movement as the defender's distracted just to find that little bit of time. And that can sometimes make all the difference at the top level. It seems as though that those, I mean, increasingly so in in the world of you know professional football, it, it seems as though those tiny little microscopic details are the ones which ultimately make the difference and, and separate the players between those who will you know have a good career and and those who are who will go on to to, to big special things. With Beltran, you say he's joined Fiorentina. Is that a is that a, a move that you could have? envisaged when when we initially set out to record this podcast about a month ago was that one which you would have picked out as as a potentially i don't know uh, fruitful one for the style of player that he is or and, and you know italian football as well is that 
is that a, a league which you think is probably conducive to, to Beltran's particular style? If I'd had to bet on where Beltran would have moved <clears throat> even a couple of weeks ago, it wouldn't have been Italy, even with the fact that there's always been a really good relationship between Italian football and Argentinian football. Obviously, a long time ago, many people moved from Italy to Argentina, so there's a, a large population in Argentina who still have Italian heritage in some way. So there's always been a pipeline of talent and players who've moved there. Look at Retegui, um, the player who's moved, I believe he moved to Genoa after making his Italy debut while still playing in Argentina. Um, so there's always been a connection there. And I think in terms of Beltran's technical ability and his movement and his sharpness, I think he'll suit Italian football really well. But the reason I didn't think at the time that he would move to Italy is that Italian football is going through a period at the moment where there's very little liquidity in their markets in terms of being able to play, pay decent funds, decent fees for players. You see some exceptions. I think Milan have spent some money this summer. Napoli have the ability to spend because they won Serie A in the Champions League and they'll probably be expecting it to do quite well. But then you look at Juventus, you look at Inter, you look at Roma, and none of these bigger clubs in terms of perception, in terms of fan base, really have that liquidity in the market to be able to move for players for decent fees. So I did expect Beltran to move, but my money would have been on moving to England, to be perfectly honest, I think. Similar to the fact that the way that Alvarez moved to Manchester City, I think that Beltran could have come into the Premier League at a decent level, and I think he would have scored goals. So I think he's landed at a club in Fiorentina who will suit him because Fiorentina like to play a certain style of football. They've got technical players, they create chances from wide, they create chances through wing playing, through full backs who push forwards. So I think that he will get chances there and he will score goals. And of course, Fiorentina have a good history on themselves with Argentinian forwards. Gabriel Batistuta was there for a long time. And while I'm not drawing direct comparisons between the two, I do think that the Fiorentina fans are really going to take to Beltran. Yeah, who knows? In, uh, in I don't know, 10, 15 years, we might be calling a Beltran goal. Like, uh, like, <laughs> we yeah. can just hope. <laughs> Here's hoping, yeah, and then we can trot out this, uh, this little segment of the podcast, and you can, you know, sound like the oracle that you are. But in terms of the, um, the the style of play that he that he has, one of the things that really stands out in Beltran's numbers, at least for me, was was his defensive output. You know, he's somebody who is very active um, in terms of his his defensive work rate, and you know that's something which I know for a lot of scouts when they're, they're looking at, at strikers is something which is as an additional plus point. It's not off. It's not always. You know the the absolute um, be all and end all, but you know someone who's willing to work hard, who's shown a, a propensity to work hard, you know throughout the thirds, is is that something which again will will help him acclimate to, to European football? Yeah, and I think that intensity because he does have intensity against the ball in terms of the way that he presses and you know press and move on to the next ball as the ball may be passed away from the angle that he's pressing towards he'll move to the next one to the next one i think that it's something that more and more forwards are having to add to their game in the modern the modern day because clubs are looking for players who will lead the press from the front more and more teams are are looking at build from the back. You see, especially in the Premier League at the moment, look at Brighton and how they've influenced the likes of Arsenal and Manchester City 
with their build-up and the way they look to to draw defences towards them by having the ball in the back line and waiting and pausing. Strikers now need to understand not just they don't just need to be able to press, but they need to understand how and when to press and which angles to press at. But I think at the same time that I mean you know yourself that when you're in a stadium watching a game live, when the striker for a team is absolutely working his ass off and looking to press and win the ball back and harry the opposition, fans respond to that. So I think that Beltran's work rate, his willingness to to engage in defensive duels. He's not great in the air, so don't expect him to be winning a whole lot in the air. But certainly in terms of the way that he presses and engages and looks to disrupt the opposition, I think that the Fiorentina fans, again, are really going to take to him. And it is something that will it'll create chances for Fiorentina because they'll be able to disrupt the opposition and win the ball back higher than they might have otherwise. Okay then, uh, moving on to, to my first pick, and anyone who, who heard me on a, on a different podcast this summer will have, uh, will have seen that um, I was very, very keen to discuss uh, a young French player, uh, Skelly Alvero, who uh, has joined um, Olympique Lyonnais, uh, OL, from uh, Sochaux in the uh, French second division. And it's, it's more the fact that he's just so obscure in terms of the, the type of player that he is which is why I've decided to, to pick him out and, and you know be someone who I think could be in for a big season. You know he might he might play a starring role for for Lyon. He might not, but you can't. You watch a game of, of, of his and it's it's impossible to, to miss him. You know he's such a striking player. You know when when I initially text you about him, Lee, that he was going to be one of the players that I decided to pick. Um, I think you said something along the lines of can't beat a six foot eight midfielder, um, <laughs> which is very true. Um, it's. It's very, very hard to miss him on the pitch and his, his style of play, he kind of slinks between challenges. He's got very fast feet. Um, he's got that tall, wiry frame and he's only, you know, 21 years old still. So very much within the, uh, the scouted age range. Um, he signed for, for around 4 million euros. So it's a pretty low risk deal. Um, and you look at the, the types of players that have come out of French football recently. Um, you know, Leslie Ugochukwu from, from Rennes, you know, Aurelien Chomeni recently. Um, Eduardo Camavenga, all you know, midfield players um, who are very leggy, uh, very able to, to to run through the thirds um, and escape pressure, uh, and have gone on to, I mean, in in I think all three of those cases, you know, go to Chelsea, Real Madrid. Um, so Alvero is one who I think has um, good potential. Certainly, um, he's a, he's a good tackler as well, as you'd probably expect with someone who has you know, limbs which are quite, quite long. Um, and his 1v1 defending, from what I've seen anyway, is, um, is, is pretty good as well. The caveat being, you know, that is in Ligue 2. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he scales, scales that up to, to Ligue 1. But, you know, the fundamentals are very much there. You know, very good at shifting his body weight. He can change direction in an instant, which is maybe something you wouldn't expect from somebody so, so tall. Um, and he's... <laughs> For me, I quite like these types of players, but I'd describe him as a mixture of being sort of endearingly raw, but also frustratingly raw, um, which I suppose is, is to be expected when you, you don't come through a, an academy like you know, a La Masia or um, you know, the, the, the Real Madrid setup or anywhere where you are going to, I don't know, maybe have that individuality a little bit coached out of you. Um, I think, you know, Lee, I don't know how much you've seen of, of Skelly Alvero, but I, I, for one, I think you know his passing could maybe be a little bit cleaner and crisper. 
um, a little bit more refined, but certainly makes up for that in his ball carrying. He absolutely does. And I think it's probably touching the fact that it's quite sad that Skelly Alvaro has moved from Sochaux this summer, given the the problems that Sochaux are now facing from a financial perspective. And from such a great club in terms of their talent development and the way that they, they bring young players through in the French football landscape, it, it's really sad to see that they are in the position that they are. But I think Alvaro... He's, he's pretty much the epitome of the term great feet for a big man because you you see him and you see him on the pitch and you think instinctively that if he's in midfield, he must be a number six because he just towers above other people. I mean, six foot eight and he's lanky with it as well. So sometimes it sounds really strange, but from a scouting perspective, Sometimes one of the hardest things to tell when you're video scouting in particular is a player's height because there's something about watching a player on a video that just obscures it slightly and it's something that you really need to drill down into. I've had conversations, I remember when we were at Aberdeen, we signed a player and um, just after he'd signed, it was actually Hayden, I could probably name him because he's not the club anymore, it was actually Hayden Coulson. Um, from Middlesbrough, we signed him on loan, the left back. And it wasn't until a few days, uh, about a week later, I think, after we'd signed him, we actually had a meeting with all the scouts at the training ground. And we just happened to be in a corridor as Hayden walked past. And um, somebody shouted after him, asking how tall he was, because all of us had disagreed on how tall he actually was. And I don't think I was right, so I'm obviously rubbish at telling how tall players are on video. But with Skelly Alvaro, because he's so tall and, and there are elements of his game that you would expect because he is dominant in the air, but that's because he's six foot eight and he doesn't really have to jump to win aerial duels against people. But with the balls on the ground, he's got that ability to just manipulate the ball away from people in space in tight areas. As people try to get close to him, to challenge him, he'll just knock the ball past them. And because his legs are so long, he then reaches the leg out and he's still got control of the ball and he's still dribbling and beating men. I think there are elements of his game that Leon will have to develop if he's going to become a regular first-team player. I think his passing isn't always done well. And don't get me wrong, he can pass the ball. Of course he can as a professional footballer. But sometimes the weight of the pass, the angle of the pass, the foot that he gives the ball to, to the player to is just not correct. So... You want the player to be able to receive in the strongest foot where possible. Sometimes Skelly Alvaro, those passes are slightly behind the player, making them have to adjust their body position to receive. And that just slows things down a little bit. He also doesn't have a great passing range in terms of that ability to receive the ball in central areas and then spring wingers with diagonal passes. You don't see that very often from him. And he really needs to do more in terms of having a, a direct goal output given his size and ball carrying ability. But Given his profile, given the fact that he is such a a unicorn in terms of his body shape and his height and everything else that he has going for him, he could be a difference maker for for Leon in this season. He, he very much reminds me of um, the the NBA. Or I don't know whether he is in the NBA now, but the basketball player Victor Wembanyama. You know, he he shouldn't be able to do what he does with his body, yeah. but he does. Um, but on your point there of um, the, the passing range. One of the things that that you know you'll definitely see in highlight reels. Maybe not so much when you do your more in depth video scouting, 
Um, but definitely in the highlight reels, you'll see that he does occasionally like the, the crossfield pass. And, you know, when they come off, they look great, but they don't come off that often yeah. um, when you actually look at the, you know, his, his games rather than just a highlight compilation. Um, so again, maybe just a case of pass selection as well um, would probably be something we, that he could work on. Um, but, you know, as we say, he's 21 years old, um, certainly has, has great potential. And I love that term unicorn because he's unique. But yeah, he's he's very um yeah very unicorn like, and um, <laughs> I think that 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 observation of you know he needs to do a little bit more in the final third is probably pretty astute considering that you know he was probably the most effective ball carrier in France's second tier last season. Yeah, yeah you know, I think the um the numbers that that came out were something ridiculous, like eighty two percent success rate over just shy of two thousand minutes, which for anybody who you know gets their, their head into the data very often, that is an incredible success rate for um for, for dribbles, take-ons, whatever you want to describe them as. So moving, Lee, moving on to uh, your next pick, um, you went with uh, another Argentine. Um, and this one, while I did know a little bit about Lucas Beltran and heard his name occasionally from time to time, um, this player I had no prior knowledge of. Um, but he's another one who's made a, made a summer move or a, a move in during the transfer window. Hasn't come across to Europe, but... Has, um, has traded Argentina for Brazil. Yeah, he's a really interesting one. The, the player is Lucas Bessosi, um, 20-year-old Argentinian winger. He was, up until a couple of weeks ago, he was still with Central Cordoba in the Argentinian top flight, but he was on loan from Lanús, who are obviously one of the bigger clubs. Central Cordoba aren't one of the, the bigger clubs in the Argentinian top flight, which is possibly why... This player stood out a little bit when I was just doing some some data work in Argentina. Um, Bissosi really, really stood out for reasons that I'll go into soon. But in the last couple of weeks, he's been recalled by Lanis from his loan at Central Cordoba, and he's gone straight out on loan to Gremio in Brazil's Serie A. And it looks as though there is an option to buy in that deal as well. So it's quite likely that Bissosi will stay in Brazil, I think, because... He's the kind of player that can really do well in the Brazilian league with his style of play. Um, he's an Argentinian under-20 international. Um, hasn't played many times yet for them, but he is still only 20 years old. So obviously young enough that he's still going to get some exposure to the underage Argentinian teams here and there. Um, primarily he's a left winger, but he's a right-footed left winger. Um Normally, that would signify that he's going to be inverted and that he'll be more of an inside forward type. And I think more and more in football just now, when we talk about positions, positions are almost split. So you have full backs, you have wing backs, we know that. But when we talk about wingers, we have wingers or we have inside forwards or inverted wingers. All these football manager terms seem to be coming to life a little bit. But what's interesting to me with Bezozzi is that despite the fact that he's right-footed and he plays on the left-hand side, he doesn't necessarily fit that stereotype as the, the winger who gets the ball and cuts in all the time. He's more than capable of driving with the ball down the outside of the defender and taking them on. And when I was doing that, that data work in the Argentinian top flight, it was his ball carrying that really, really impressed. He is dynamic. He's powerful when he runs with the ball. He's capable of, of manipulating the ball in tight spaces with small touches and body movements and body feints to get that little bit of separation. But he's also really good in transition when he takes the ball and drives forward in possession of the ball. I think he's got 
a very modern profile in terms of a wide player. And he's got that profile of a player that I think will play very well in Europe. So it is interesting that he made the move to Brazil and not necessarily to European football this summer because he is somebody that I think was being looked at by a few clubs and a few different markets. With Bissozzi, he's not someone... I mean, he wasn't in the squad for the um, the Under-20 World Cup for, for Argentina. Um, and he wasn't somebody who... Um, or rather, isn't somebody who has a vast amount of experience as a teenager. Um, you know, he's, pr- he's probably played around 50 first-team games in his, in his club career. W- when you're watching somebody who hasn't really played that much football... Um, I'm, I'm only assuming that a lot of those will be off the bench as well. Um, but a player who hasn't really played a great deal of football, and the vast majority of those have come for a team sort of nearer the bottom of Argentina's top flight. What, what are the, the the attributes or the, the the points which really stand out for you as a as a scout when you're looking at a player and thinking, okay, he's one to keep an eye on because of X, Y, and Z. When you first start to to really come across a player if you like and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people like you say if they're playing for a club who's not traditionally one of the top clubs who aren't necessarily one of the stronger clubs in the league you're looking straight away at what he's good at in the first instance so you want to understand what his super strengths are is he a passer is he a creator is he intense in the way that he moves against the ball or in the case of Bizzosi it's his ball carrying and his ability to beat players and create danger in the final third. Um, that's not to say that you completely ignore the negatives because there are, of course, negatives. Sometimes his decision-making isn't where it needs to be yet. He's not having the impact in the final third in terms of carrying the ball diagonal into the area and finishing, which you expect from a right foot on the left-hand side. Sometimes his final ball can be wrong because he's moving so quickly in the line. Sometimes he's not getting his foot around the ball properly and his technique when ball striking is not correct. But for young players especially, what I find when they're first coming through, you've got to understand what it is that they're doing well that's made their team select them in the first instance. So why has this 20-year-old or 19-year-old or 18-year-old suddenly started to make the breakthrough at a club who may not be playing in such a way because at Central Cordoba, they're not necessarily a team who you expect to have a high proportion of attacks. So why are they trusting a 20-year-old on their wing when they could have a more experienced player who perhaps understands the defensive side a bit better? But very quickly, it became apparent that they have Bissosi on the wing at Central Cordoba because of the fact that in transition, they can trust him with the ball to drive and take players on and move the team 40, 50 yards up the pitch with a single run. And that kind of thing then becomes interesting because then it, it's the, always the same way when you talk about football from a recruitment perspective. You have to understand context at all times. And it, it's one thing to be doing recruitment from an amateur perspective. So, for example, if you're sitting and you're creating player threads on Twitter, because I still refuse to call it X, if if you're doing that, then your context is very different to if you're working in a club. And I'm not saying for a single second that there's not value in the people who are doing that and creating threads and creating blogs and sharing content. Because essentially, if you want to work in recruitment within football, you have to be in a position where you're building an online portfolio. And that's what I always tell people to do. So absolutely do so. But have a little bit think about the context around a player when you're doing that. 
because when you work for a club, the context is system and play at your club. How do your team attack? So if I am recruiting for a club who don't attack down the wings, I'm not looking at Basozzi in the same light, even though he's talented. But if I'm recruiting at a club who want wingers who can dominate one versus one, create danger and then get the ball into the area, then the context of that player is vastly different for me. So when you start to really drill down into young players as they're coming through at different clubs, it's really important to understand what they're doing well, understand what they're not doing well too, but you have to start with young players, I think, with the positive and what is it that makes them an interesting player for you. And then you can kind of put that into the context of your club or or your environment, whatever it is you're working or whatever it is that you're looking to do at the moment. Very, very interesting. Um, speaking of Bissozzi then, um, if you were to, to say, a league or, a, a, I mean, if, if you can, a club, or a style of play in particular, that based on the, the, the watching that you've done and the attributes that he has, the strengths that he possesses, where would you say um, would, would suit him? Because, you know, I, I'm sort of sensing a little bit of intrigue that, that he has in, in your voice, that he has gone to, to Gremio and to Brazilian football, as opposed to, you know, coming over to Europe like Beltran has. Yeah, and I think that Bezosi is the kind of player who you could see at a very specific type of club. So, If you look at what Brighton are doing at the moment, for example, and I'm not saying that he's a player who I'm I'm sure Brighton are aware of him because they're aware of all young players in South America, but he would suit what they're looking to do and what Deserby's looking to do in terms of their system of play because the whole ethos is with the deep build-up. You're looking to create opportunities for isolated one-versus-ones in the, the final third. So having a, a, a ball carrier and a dribbler like Pissozzi, who's able to go one versus one with the opposition fullback, would be beneficial. He's not anywhere near the same level as Karim Matoma and I think Simon Odringa, who's obviously came back to Brighton from USG in Belgium this summer. I think he's also ahead of where Pissozzi is in terms of his development. So then you take it the next rung down, you start to look at a league like France. And at the moment, Rennes have just sold Jeremy Doku to Manchester City. And if you're looking at a player who's capable of one-versus-one situations, Doku is one of the the most dominant one-versus-one attackers in European football at the moment. End product's not always there, but you can absolutely see why Pep Guardiola wanted to sign him because they're starting to do things that are similar to Brighton in that they're using deep build-up and they're looking to get one-on-one in the wide areas and then create space for Haaland in the centre. So having a dominant ball carrier, one versus one player like Jeremy Doku makes a lot of sense. So a club like Ren would make a lot of sense for Pizzozzi because then he goes in there and then he shines in their system the same way that Doku has and he's the next one off the production line for them. Next one off the production line. That's uh, certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, Moving on to my second and final pick. Um, I've I've gone with uh, probably the most... I wouldn't say obvious, but the, probably the the highest profile player um, that we've that we've decided to to discuss um, this week or this month, uh, and that's Rodri Sanchez, the 23 year old at Real Betis, uh, an academy product there in Seville, um, but has previously represented Barcelona, Espanyol, Real, Atleti, and Depor um, before coming through at, at Real Betis. Um, and for me, it was it was his performances at the uh, the under 21 European Championships, which really stood out um, and has pretty much earmarked him as, as one that 
I'm looking forward to following a lot more closely this this summer, uh, rather this season. Um, he played on the right-hand side of Spain's attack at that competition, was obviously a finalist, um, defeated by England, of course, but um, you know his final performance wasn't great, but even if that was the case, you know he still put up a very good tournament performance. Um, and as you were saying with with Wingersley, you know Rodri is is one of those. I, personally, I like it when they can go both ways. You know he can come inside, um, you know execute those pass and move sequences, but he can also get to the byline and deliver to the box. And I think his his stature really helps him in that regard because he's only five foot six, or at least he's listed at five foot six. Um, you can tell he is a, quite a diminutive player just. On, from video scouting. I've also, just by chance, um, watched him live in the flesh once um, when Leeds had a pre-season friendly against Real Betis at Loughborough University of all places uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and he was somebody who I hadn't seen at that point. He was somebody who I wasn't aware of, but he did stand out. Um, so I thought, well, okay, that's... And then when I initially saw him again at the under-21 Euros, I thought, oh, that's the same player, that's the same Rodri. Um, so it's it's quite gratifying when that happens, but um, you know perhaps that size might be a limiting factor for him in a more phys- physical league. But La Liga for now, for the time being, certainly is is a division which I think is conducive. Um, and you look at his, his his numbers from last season when he was a semi regular for, for for Betis, and he was posting similar final third pass numbers um, as you know the likes of Nabil Fekir, Joaquin, obviously the legend that is Joaquin, and, and Sergio Canales. Who again at uh, at Betis was you know a, a really really well well thought of player revered you might even say, um, and having watched the under twenty one Euros a lot more closely than I did, uh, Lou and Steve at scouted they I went to them before recording this and uh, they were you know saying he's he's sort of a pass and move player you know receives the ball well lays it off then bursts into a position to receive it again you know he's, he's very flighty very tricky to mark. Um, is what they were saying. And, you know, for, for someone who does play so advanced um, and is typically, you know, playing on the right-hand side of, a, of an attack, um, you know, he's, he's actually a good passer of the ball. You know, he's, he's, he puts up good numbers in terms of pass completion, um, which when you're making passes into the penalty area, when you're trying to link play in the final third, naturally you're going to come up against more um, more opposition players. You know, that's just a fact of, a fact of life. But, if your accuracy in that area of the pitch is, is quite high, it suggests you know good decision making. It suggests an almost an innate ability to to spy a good pass and just in one clean movement execute it. Um, so yeah, for a player who you know for all intents and purposes might sound like a wasteful player, he isn't, um, and he's quite a useful one to have. But yeah, I mean Lee, I'm sure with your your eye over Spanish football, you'll be well aware of Rodri. Um, what do you what do you make of him? I think he's a really interesting player. I think at Velez we have Betis B and we have Sevilla B in our group in our league again this season, and they always have one, maybe two, maybe three players within those teams that you look at and you go, yeah, I can see that you're going to challenge in La Liga at some point. And it was only a couple of years ago that Rodri would have been in that Betis B team, Betis Deportivo, who are currently in Segunda Ref. And there are so many players that Spain produces who have this level of technical ability. But Rodri kind of combines this technical ability on the ball. Like you say, his passing, his link play, 
his ability to find little pockets of space and he loves the half spaces to receive the ball. His ability to do all those things is, is really interesting. But he combines that with a little bit more individuality than you sometimes see from Spanish attacking players in that way. He's got the ability to drop a shoulder and go past a man quickly. He can receive the ball on the half turn, take a positive touch and straight away drive with the ball. Not everything about what he does has to be possession orientated all the time. And I think that suits what Betis are looking to do because they're not necessarily looking for every player in the attacking third to be a carbon copy in that they'll receive and play and give and go and move the ball and shift. Instead, he can take the ball and be that little bit more individualistic, which is no bad thing in a team like Betis. But I think that he is a player who has that innate ability to receive and play one-touch football, which is you know what we kind of associate with Spanish football at the top tier over the last few years, and especially at an international level. And he is a player who I think can really be a difference maker for Betis in La Liga this season. On to your final pick then, Lee, uh, and it's a player from Sweden. Um, we know that on the Scouted Football podcast, Scandinavian teams are just really rich and uh, diverse in terms of how many young players are there and just how, I don't know, um, varied their, their backgrounds are into, into football. Um, interesting, obviously, as, as Aberdeen were playing BK Hawken um, in uh, the, was it the Conference League qualifiers or the Europa League qualifiers? Europa League last night. Yeah, um, and... Obviously, there are two two connections there for, for you, Lee. Um, but um, you've you've gone with one of the the, the BK Hocken players from from Sweden. Um, who is it that you've you've selected? Yeah, I've gone with Romeo Amani, who is an Ivorian midfielder who plays, like you say, in the Alsvenskan Scan for BK Hocken. Um, Hocken are the Swedish champions. They they won the Alsvenskan Scan last season, and. Yeah, he did play last night for Aberdeen. I didn't think he had his best game against Aberdeen last night. I, I watched the whole thing, obviously, um, as an Aberdeen fan and somebody who, who enjoys seeing them play in Europe. And I thought I probably expected a little bit more of him because I'm quite high in his, his talent and his development. But I think part of what Swedish football does really well, and I say Swedish football because there must be four or five, even six clubs within Swedish football that do this, they have really good connections to Africa. And they are providing a gateway to players from Africa that perhaps they wasn't present in Sweden even 10, 15 years ago. So Romeo Mann is the next one who seems to be coming off that production line. He's Ivorian, but he played for Mimosas in, in the Ivory Coast before he moved to Hecken. He's very much a player in the, as well as we typically describe player positions by numbers, depending on where they play for us on the pitch. So he comes under the six slash eight profile, if I was talking about him for Velez, and that he would be capable as the, the first line in the midfield, if you like, as the deeper player. But I think he's better in a more box-to-box role, so I would probably categorise him more as number eight. He has lovely feet, in the, the way that he can receive the ball, really soft feet, he receives in good angles and good areas, always takes a good, safe first touch, positive touch when he's in space, and he's willing to get forward and attack from there. Um, 
he is not just a midfielder who will look to receive the ball and pop the easy pass and kind of keep the play moving. Very much will look for the line-breaking pass or the final pass to try and move the ball in the final third or the penalty area or the wide area, depending on where the space is for Hecken. And he's really got a, a lovely sense of timing when he moves into the final third in the way that he arrives in space, receives the ball, and then draws players into him before passing beyond them. I think that he's a player who's going to have a big future in the game, given that he's only 20 years old. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a team in France, a team in the Netherlands, or one of the bigger teams in Belgium pick him up very soon. You mentioned, obviously, that he's, he's Ivorian and he's played for Mimosas in, in, the, in, in his home country before moving to, to Sweden. Typically, though, I think you'd probably find when African players do come over to the Alspenskan or, you know, um, you know, to other mi- more minor European leagues, you know, I'm thinking outside of the big five, um, typically they tend to be attackers or, you know, very, very standout players. You know, I'm thinking the likes of, you know, Akor Adams, um, you know, you have Benny Traore, who's obviously just signed for Sheffield United, Karim Konate, um, uh, Abdul uh, Fatawu, Isaku Fatawu, um, the Ghanaian lad. You know the um, with with Romeo, is is he him being a, a an eight or a six slash eight? Is that something of, of interest considering that he has been plucked from from an African team to come over to the Swedish champions? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I hadn't really considered it. You do get central defenders as well. There have been numerous central defenders who've had their first landing point from Africa in Sweden before then moving on to different clubs throughout Europe. But there aren't, and you're right, there aren't maybe a lot of number eights who do so. Um, I think that given his technical profile more than anything else, it's not he's not the most physical of players and he's not a powerful number eight in the Yaya Toure mould as an Ivorian link. He's more a player who is sleek and quick of foot. So I think that's where the link comes from. And Hecken have just got a very good relationship. I mean, I know myself from, from working. And in Velez, um, we do explore the African market. We took three young players from Nigeria, direct from Nigeria, last winter. So I understand firsthand the difficulties in, in getting the right information and contacting and finding the right people to get a deal done can be. But obviously, Hecken have got good contacts there and they're able to, to cut through some of the red tape that can sometimes exist in that market and find the right players. So I think that certainly, I, I don't think positionally, they will only go for attackers. So they're obviously open to other roles too. That just about finishes things for us um, on this this episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Um, I did sort of have a, a thought while we were recording this, um, as you know, someone, a player who might have a, a big season ahead, um, was the uh, the under seventeen year olds player of the player of the tournament and Golden Boot winner Paris Brunner, the uh, the German youngster. Um, so potentially he could have a, a big season. So um, I might sound very smart and or, or very stupid in about, uh, eight months' time. But um, Lee, thank you very much for, for joining me again on this one. Um, where can where can people find you? Where can they, they, they see your insights and, and hear your, your thoughts on players? I think that the best place is still on the Bird app. It's um, Yeah, you can find me on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer. 
um, at FM Analysis. I don't post very much. So something I'll try and fix once the transfer window's out the way, possibly, and I'll start to share some more some more thoughts about scouting and recruitment on there. So that's the best place. Yep, and I'd uh, wholeheartedly recommend following Lee, even if it's just to, to have a conversation in, in his replies and his mentions or, or in DMs or whatever. Um, because as as I'm hope as I'm hopeful, you'll have uh, you'll have found um, very very broad knowledge of uh, young players across uh, the world. Um, this has been the Scout Football Podcast. I've been Joe Donahue, and thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back shortly with another episode. Bye for now. New from Scouted Football, introducing the Scouted Notebook, long-form, in-depth journalism, storytelling and analysis from our team of expert writers. Sign up at scoutednotebook.com for the very best we have to offer, including consistent and curated updates on the players we think you should be excited about, detailed coverage of youth football tournaments other outlets aren't paying attention to, such as the Under-20 World Cup, Under-17 Euros and plenty more. A Scouted Notebook subscription guarantees you'll receive exclusive updates on and early access to Scouted, our premium print magazine, which makes a return in 2023, as well as complete access to the digital archive of our legacy print magazine, The Handbook, all 12 volumes. Scouted, the home of independent, in-depth storytelling and analysis on football's next generation.